Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. In the New Testament, there is a concept of the analogy of faith, the rule of faith, and it's linked, I think, to the putting on of the mind of Christ. And so we have passages like Galatians 3.25, but now faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The idea is there's freedom in Christ where the law stood outside and was kind of an outside coercion. Faith is something we take up inside ourselves. It becomes a rule within us and becomes part of our character and understanding. Romans 12, 6 says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, and of course the word prophesying here, teaching or preaching, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. That is that this in, in accordance with faith by the analogy or rule of faith is the way the prophet is supposed to speak. It's to fit together. Paul wanted every prophecy or every teaching to be conformed to this analogy or this likeness of faith. But maybe the key scripture then is this passage from 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 16. Let's read there. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not speak the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, Yet he himself is appraised by no one. And of course, appraised here, I don't know if the version that you're looking at could be judged, critiqued. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we're to put on Christ. We're to have the mind of Christ. Paul says this in several places. And this becomes the basis of our critical faculty. We're to judge things in this way. That we can begin to look at the world, to judge all things on the basis of this mindset of Christ. So I think the picture is we don't leave the word of God, the word of Christ in a book, but we take it up in ourselves. We come to know God and what God has given us as our thoughts and words, Paul says, become spiritual and we discern or we appraise or judge things on the basis of this mindset. But what is the mindset? You know, how do we fill in the blanks? So on what basis does it ju- judge, discern, appraise? You know, this rule of faith, this analogy of faith that we can say there's definite things that the early church, then they're just looking at scripture, are going to talk about when they use this term, but actually, you know, the other term that they used 
And I know this sounds strange to us. They actually mean gospel. When they use the term gospel, I think it's almost the same thing as this idea of rule of faith. That is, where do we encounter the gospel? Well, it's not just in a book. It's not, you know, we encounter the gospel in Christ, in the preaching of the apostles. And the gospel, or this, this rule of faith, is the interpretive lens. It's even a measure of the authority. But it's also something that becomes part of our ethical sensibility. It's an interpretive key, but it's also an ethic. It's a way of seeing the world. The rule of faith is a way of reading and understanding the Bible, for sure. I think this is a key interpretation, but I think it's one that we take up and apply universally. And actually, it's on the basis of the rule of faith that the books of the Bible were selected by the early church. You understand, when we go back to Ignatius or Irenaeus, they didn't have a Bible like the New Testament. They're going to, you know, slowly the book, they're going to begin to circulate some books, and they're going to say, well, this fits our understanding, the rule of faith, and people are going to circulate the books. It was not that the Bible preceded faith. But faith, the gospel, preceded the Bible. The rule of faith, or the gospel, is the means by which the canon of the Bible is discerned. So we talked about, you know, in the Restoration Movement, where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we, we are silent. Well, wait a minute, I think we just missed the gospel. This may sound pretty good, but of course it's proven very inadequate because I think what we're leaving out is this understanding of the gospel as preceding even scripture. It's on the basis of the gospel, it's on the basis of the rule of faith that we understand what faith is. And I think we have the idea that if we could all just sit down and read the Bible that we could just come to agreement. I think the only way we're going to come to agreement is if we have this rule of faith, this gospel understanding. The Christian church, the restoration movement, it's just endlessly split because of our idea that we're only going to do exactly what the Bible says. So we have one cup communion church of christ we have multiple cup communion church of christ we have no sunday school church of christ you know it just it's just endless but it's not just our problem i think it's a problem in many protestant churches i think it's a problem in evangelical churches it's certainly a problem for the amish or for anabaptist groups and i think this affected the way that i was educated this has influenced the way we approach things. In my education, almost never encountered the teaching and tradition of the church. Because, oh, we don't do tradition, right, in the Christian church. Well, wait a minute. The gospel itself is part of the tradition handed down by the apostles that becomes scripture. I, I didn't even study theology at Ozark Bible College, we had no course in theology because, well, we don't need theology. We just read the Bible. Wait a minute. By the time you get to Scripture, you're already doing theology. It's already an interpretation. So it's almost to say if you don't do theology, you're really lacking the basic tools to understand what's being done. And so there's this kind of suspicion of a full understanding of the gospel.
and of course we you know the idea of a historical critical method that you know each text must be studied objectively and to understand any particular verse or text oh you have to study the background exhaustively now, I'm not saying that's bad you have to know the historical setting the intent of the author that may be all pretty good but guess what you're missing the truth you're missing the lesson you're missing words if you just stop there you're missing the point and of course even the name historical critical method it's as if the truth is forever in the history in the past and we're always trying to get behind the text to obtain it no I think we have the truth and it's there for us and we're to take it up what happens once you apply this method we talk about that there's all kind of splits in the Christian church but just in evangelical Protestant churches but the same thing happens to our understanding of the Bible how do you hold the Old Testament together with the New Testament apart from the understanding that Christ holds it together how do you harmonize the Gospels don't they disagree how do you harmonize what James says with what Paul says that is the method is lacking I think just the basic tools for reading the Bible you know we need to do these things but that in and of itself is inadequate and the result is that I think we begin to suspect the unity of the Bible or even the efficacy of reading the Bible maybe the text just doesn't seem very trustworthy you know the early church fathers they talked about the Bible as divine and what has happened I think is without our recognizing it that a modern foundation of truth outside of the Bible and outside of Christ is actually displacing the foundation of Christ in our churches most modern interpreters cannot understand how it is that they've actually lost the rule of faith in the restoration movement the foundation I think was mostly changed you know we have kind of 19th century rationalism common sense philosophy attached to modernism and it's actually a very naive understanding about how we know things it was just assumed we could use common sense and find the truth as if there is a common sense do we share in common you know a rationality and this common sense rational approach as really an implicit rule of faith actually sets aside faith because it depends upon reason and both conservatives and liberals lost the biblical foundation I think really before it occurred to them to fight over it what may be characterized as a kind of naive biblicism you know we just use the Bible or even a naive anti-biblicism I think we need to challenge this the Bible is both a wonderful book but I think it's a very dangerous book in that apart from a proper rule of faith apart from the gospel it has been used to justify slavery to justify genocide and really every evil under the sun that is misreading your Bible is a very dangerous thing and what is clear is that apart from the mind of Christ apart from the rule of faith there really is no singular morality there's really no singular worldview no singular understanding 
If we're imagining we can just inductively, that is, start with a blank slate. So when we say the rule of faith, it recognizes the preeminence of the gospel of Christ, both in the formation of scripture and then in biblical interpretation. But it does not reduce to an easy either or over and against tradition or scripture or theology and tradition. But what it does indicate is that faith, or even the formation of theology, is as important to how the Bible is interpreted as any interpretive method. That is, it's not really the interpretive method that tells us what the Bible says. The notion that the Bible, correct Bible reading, will provide the cure to every heresy I think it's just missing the primacy of faith. Or really, in the terms of the early church, it's missing what we mean by gospel. And what we mean by gospel, there is a necessary givenness. There is a necessary theory. There is a necessary worldview. You remember the idea, oh, that a child is born as a blank slate. And I think that's the way we often come to Bible reading. As if we can have a blank slate and start from there without any kind of understanding. But Hebrews 11.1, I think, is a, a similar key. Now, faith is confidence in what we've hoped for. How do you get confidence? Do you get confidence without faith? And then you get faith after confidence? No, you get confidence through faith. How do you understand things? Apart from faith? No, through faith. And I think that's the rule of faith. We begin with faith. Not just as a means of measure, but as really the guiding force in our understanding. So it's a basic premise of reading scripture. It's, it's also the situation in which scripture is constituted as scripture. Scripture is an interpretation of the person of Christ, right? That's what John says at the beginning of John. Actually, he talks about Jesus as the word who exegetes to us God. And scripture itself is an exegesis of who Christ is. And I think this is true in both Testaments. It's an interpretation of Christ. That is, I'm saying that Christ constitutes the Bible, the Bible. Scripture is a confession of faith in the crucified and risen Christ. But this faith first arises in the apostles and is being preached before it is written. They didn't have really a Bible. They didn't have a canon. When they say scripture, they mean what we call the Old Testament. Irenaeus explains that if the apostles had left no writings, that the churches they founded were a deposit of faith. But even here, ascertaining, you know, this is second century, and understanding this gospel, it's on the basis of the rule of faith. But on the other hand, it's not that this rule floated free of Scripture. As Irenaeus appeals to the Scripture that he had in setting forth the rule of faith, he writes, We have learned from none others the plan of our salvation than from those through whom the gospel has come down to us which they did at one time proclaim in public. Here's the preaching, the kerygma. And at a later period, by the will of God, handed down to us in the scriptures to be the ground and pillar of our faith. 
Irenaeus will do what many of the early church fathers do. He really doesn't distinguish between scripture and tradition as both derive from the apostles. In other words, scripture is the tradition and the tradition is scripture. And entailed in the reception of the gospel is the faith that what is apostolic is authoritative. Why, why is it authoritative? Because it derives from Jesus and Jesus is God's divine messenger. And so for Irenaeus, both the true apostolic tradition maintained by the churches and the apostolic writings, they all derive from the same apostles and have one and the same content. The gospel, the gospel itself, according to the scriptures, he says. So tradition for the early church is scripture rightly understood. In the same breath, Irenaeus is appealing to tradition. He also says the demonstrations of things contained in the scriptures cannot be demonstrated except from scriptures themselves. So yes, we derive this rule of faith from the Bible, from Scripture. That is how we read. And so Irenaeus' appeal to tradition, he's really attacking, you know, the church is very early, has heretics arising, and these false teachers appealed to tradition as over and against what is not in Scripture, or for principles which would legitimize their interpretation of Scripture. And Irenaeus, in his appeal to tradition, he's not really appealing to anything that was not also in Scripture. So he can appeal to tradition to establish his case, and at the same time maintain Scripture cannot be understood except on the basis of Scripture itself, using its own hypothesis. What I'm saying is he had a rule of faith, he had an understanding. And he suggests that it's not writing per se that constitutes the gospel. He talks about many of the people coming into the early church couldn't read or write. They were illiterate barbarians, he says, who received the gospel, but he says they may have it written on their hearts. And of course, that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of the word of Christ. It doesn't need to be understood simply through written ink and paper, he says. He's describing an encounter with the risen Christ in the gospel. That is faith. And this is the faith, he says, that we receive at baptism. And of course, I think he's picturing a full adult baptism, a cognizant understanding that this faith has a very particular form and content. Uh, let me give you two sections where he just spells this out. And this is not just him. This will be repeated again and again. Okay, what's the rule of faith? He says, This faith in one God, the Father Almighty, who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and all the things that are in them, and in one Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was made flesh for our salvation, and in the Holy Spirit, who made known through the prophets the plan of salvation, and the coming and the birth from a virgin, and the passion and the resurrection from the dead, and the bodily ascension into heaven of the beloved Christ Jesus our Lord, and his future appearing from heaven in the glory of the Father, to sum up all things and to raise anew all flesh of the whole human race. 
That statement in Irenaeus, it will be repeated again and again. Here's what we believe. This rule of faith includes loving recognition of Christ. And notice that it comes with revelation, a fullness of the revelation of the Trinity. But there is no distinction. You know, the church is going to, by the 4th, 5th century, they're going to begin to argue about the Trinity and the nature of the Trinity. But the way that the rule of faith functions, we encounter God as Trinity in Christ in the Incarnation. And there is a unity there. There is no distinction either between Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, the you know, Jesus as Logos, or the deity of Christ. That is going to be a later controversy that I think people lose when they lose the rule of faith. The Incarnation, the Trinity, are not separate subjects. The rule of faith begins with the Incarnation as access to God as Trinity. Let me give you one more. Irenaeus defines, he says, Here is the order of the rule of our faith. God the Father, not made, not material, invisible, one God, the creator of all things. This is the point of our faith. The second point is the word of God, son of God, Christ Jesus our Lord, who was manifested to the prophets. And of course here he's talking about the Old Testament according to the form of their prophesying and according to the method of the dispensation of the Father through whom all things were made, who also at the end of times to complete and gather up all things was made man among men, visible and tangible, in order to abolish death and show forth life and produce a community of union between God and man. And the third point is the Holy Spirit, through whom the prophets prophesied, and the fathers learned the things of God, and the righteous were led forth into the way of righteousness, and who in the end of times was poured out in a new way upon mankind and all the earth, renewing man unto God. This is the working rule of faith that the early church is going to use to understand and extrapolate from scripture, interpret scripture. Now it will be challenged and it will be set aside, I think implicitly, but it's inclusive of a specific understanding of God. Clearly God as creator of Christ as unveiling and constituting the inspiration of scripture. He delivers from death and the Holy Spirit who is being poured out and making people righteous and then forming a new unified community. And unity is a theme here. Unity in God, unity in Christ, unity among people. And you could just extend this, unity in scripture. One encounters God the Father, God the Son as Word, Son of God, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit in the gospel message. And this unity is the rule of faith. What happened? <laughs> Why did we lose this understanding? I think it begins to change with the rise of Constantine very early. They're still going to talk about the rule of faith, but it's going to become slightly different. Rather than beginning with the incarnation to say who God is, the incarnation began to be treated separately from the doctrine of the Trinity. They're going to talk about the Son separate from the Father. And then the speculative possibility of treating the one God separate from the triune God. In other words, they're going to split it up. It's going to fall apart. 
I think there's a loss of the rule of faith, even though they're still talking that way. You know, this comes up especially in the history of the church, and it'll come up in our day with the condemnation of the heretics. They're going to cast out certain people, the Gnostics, you know, the Arians, the Donatists. And so they condemned them, but they condemned their conclusions that they reached, I think, rather than their starting point. And I think this is really the problem. I think we have a problem with our starting point. Maybe it's in the theology of Origen, who is often depicted as really the first, you know, full theologian of the church. And he talks about, he writes an entire book on first principles, on this rule of faith. But he's just building on what he's received. He's not innovating, but he's extrapolating. And what is clear in Origen, and maybe due to, it sounds strange to us, because of the development that we're a part of, it's his presumption that it is Christ alone that reveals the inspiration of the Hebrew Scriptures. He says, before the fulfillment of those events which were predicted by them, they could not, although true and inspired by God, be shown to be so, because they were as yet unfulfilled. But the coming of Christ was a declaration that their statements were true and divinely inspired. How do you get the Bible? Well, because you have Christ. You had the Old Testament, but it's unveiled in Christ. The coming of Christ was a declaration that their statements were true. Irenaeus says the same thing, and Origen is picking this up. The way Irenaeus puts it, if anyone therefore reads the scriptures with attention, and of course they're talking about the Old Testament, because that's all they had, he will find in them an account of Christ and a foreshadowing of the new calling. I shouldn't say that's all they had. They didn't have the New Testament canon yet. He says, Christ is the treasure hid in the field who brings alive the meaning of Scripture through types and parables. And of course, he's just quoting Paul here. He's quoting the writer of Hebrews who talks about the foreshadowing in the Old Testament. But apart from Christ, the reader only finds myth for the truth that it contains is only brought to light by the cross of Christ. And only reading in it this way do we find our way into the wisdom of God. I think that's another way of talking about the rule of faith. That we take on the wisdom of God, the mind of Christ. And we ourselves, as Irenaeus says, we begin to shine with light, the same light as Moses. And so the fundamental arrow in linking, joining scripture and gospel it points from the gospel story to the scripture, not from scripture to the gospel story. In a word, with Jesus' glorification, belief in scripture comes into being by acquiring a link to Jesus' words and deeds. Origen's point is this reading of scripture, he says, is tied directly, quote, to the rule of the heavenly church of Jesus Christ, handed down through succession from the apostles. So the rule of faith comes with a hermeneutic, a way of reading. It's at once the gospel of Christ. It's Trinitarian. It's apocalyptic. It's breaking in. It's spiritual. 
As Paul says, we read with spiritual words. We have spiritual thoughts. And apart from the rule of faith and its doctrinal implications, I think that the reader is left with what? The letter, the text, the history. But we will have missed out on the, the gospel of Christ and the encounter with Christ. With the spelling out, though, of the doctrinal implications of the rule of faith, I think the scriptures are open to us. So the rule of faith may just be another way of saying we put on the mind of Christ. So let me close with reference to Philippians 2, 5-9. And this is where Paul once again says, put on the mind of Christ. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a profound humility. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I guess there is a hermeneutic too. There is a rule of faith. And apart from the rule of faith, the danger is that we misapply, we misappropriate, we misconstrue, we misuse the word of God. With the rule of faith, I think we can put on the mind of Christ. We can extrapolate the understanding of Christ so as to apply to ourselves, to scripture, and to the world. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.